Let us pray. Father in heaven, we want to give thee the glory due unto thy name. Thou art worthy of glory and riches and wisdom and honor forever. We thank thee for the gift of thy Son. We thank thee for thy glory that is visible in the creation, the glory that you put upon us every single day in your providence. We thank thee for the glory of the candle of the Lord in our hearts, which is our conscience. We thank thee for the scriptures and the glorious truth that we have there. We want to give thee glory of worship back. We are thankful for everything we have from thee. Those four means that I just mentioned, we thank thee for being our creator. Oh, but so much more than that. We thank thee for being our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank thee for this church. We thank thee for the gift and ability to sing. We thank thee that the apostolic order is for us to sing with the understanding. And we pray that you will bless us as we seek to do your will in a different way with greater zeal, greater focus in this service like we did last week. Receive our offering, the fruit of our lips, giving praise to thy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. For it's in his name that we pray, amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 15 said to pray with the Spirit and pray with the understanding, correcting charismatic abuses of just singing in the Spirit and not conveying something profitable to our intellects. But that wasn't new. David was ahead of his times in more ways than one. David knew very clearly that animal sacrifices of the Old Testament were not really what God wanted. But God God showed David secrets in the Old Testament, and one of them was, it's in 47.7, about singing with the understanding, just like Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 14. What we are doing in this service is to help us understand the songs a little bit better from the perspective of the author and from what the words are trying to convey to the Lord from us and from us to each other. We want to teach and admonish each other with intelligent communication of words. And so that's, that's why we're doing this, is to focus on singing for a couple of Sunday second services so that hopefully it will keep us in the right line of thinking while we're singing in our church. We want to be teaching and admonishing each other and glorifying God by raising up praise to Him with intelligent words. Another thing I want to mention to you, last Lord's Day second service, Brother Jim shared number 53, which is praise to the Lord the Almighty. Now when you look at the page for praise to the Lord the Almighty, you can find Joachim Neander that he told us about on the left-hand side, and then below it, there's these words, and this is very important. A lot of us like songs that when they're older, they didn't come from England. They came from Germany. Yep. And so it, below Joachim Neander, 1680, it says, TR, and that is not Traveler's Rest. <laughs> it says, TR by Catherine Winkworth, 1863, Altered in 1990. Let's skip the altered part. Translated by Catherine Winkworth. Do you know what kind of, There's two gifts. Joachim Neander that wrote it in German. Then a woman that could take the German language and put it into English and make it rhyme and make it beautiful and make it convey what the... Right. Both of them are way beyond me. I just like to sing them. Uh, but I want you to think about the different gifts God gives. 
Songs also require a pleasant melody. So on the right hand of those pages, there's the person that came up with a melody that fits those words. And if you've, if you've read very far in these history of songs, it will say, this melody was suggested by so-and-so. It was tried. It was cut. And so they had to find one that fit the words better because melodies can range from funeral dirges to military marches, and the difference is great between those. So rejoice in the gifts God's given that we are sitting here in 2020 and we have thousands and thousands of hymns at our disposal. We want to give the Lord our best. So we're trying this, we're doing this for two Sundays in the second service to give him our best. We want to show him that we do not want our worship of him to be stale. We don't want it to be the same old. We want to get into it and give him the kind of worship that he's worthy of. Eric, thank you for the double duty. And take it away and just call out the names, the, the pages up here, and let's have an hour of singing. All right, very good. If you'll turn in your Burgundy hymn books, please, first to number 530. Burgundy hymn books, 530. Father, what heir of earthly bliss thy sovereign will denies, accepted at thy throne of grace, let this petition rise. Give me a calm and thankful heart from every murmur free. Thy blessings of thy grace impart and make me live yes. to thee. Yes. Let the sweet hope that thou art mine, my life and death attend. Thy presence through my journey shine and crown my journey's end. You might look at these words at first and say, well, this doesn't really apply to me. Father, what heir of earthly bliss thy sovereign will denies. This country and this world, especially this time, is dedicated to nothing except filling our life with all the earthly bliss you can stand and then some. So it's hard to, hard to think about uh, having some earthly bliss denied. And so we must turn to uh, the pages of history of 300 years ago and read some color around its author, Anne Steele. Anne Steele has long been one of my favorites, but I forget that the universe of me is only one person wide. And unfortunately, this is sort of an obscure song now, though it did not used to be. Anne Steele was born in 1716 in Broughton, England, and she died in 1778 in Broughton, England, at the age of 62. Anne was the daughter of William Steele. He was a timber merchant who in his younger days was a lay preacher at the Baptist Church in Broughton, England. Later on, he ended up giving up his merchant business or passing it to his sons, and he became the full-time pastor at that Baptist Church. Most of the community were Baptists. Her father was descended from a long line of Puritan preachers, Somewhere along the line, we don't know exactly, the family had converted to Baptist. Amen. Yes. They had retained, however, a sober and humble reverence and attitude that shines through all of Anne's hymns. Here's some of the earthly bliss that Anne's father, Heavenly Father, denied her. At age three, her mother died. Sometime during her childhood, she suffered an accident that broke her hip and other injuries, so she was able to walk, but only with great difficulty. She was often sick, not only as a result of that accident, but also just sickly in nature. At age 14, she was baptized, not before age 14. 
She was baptized and joined the church where her father pastored. At age 21, here's the kicker, she was engaged to be married, and the date for the marriage was set. That morning, her fiancé accidentally drowned in a river where he went to bathe prior to the wedding. A friend found his body at the very time of their scheduled ceremony. She never married. Although she was proposed to once more at age 26, she did not accept, and we're not told why. She spent the rest of her life writing hymns and helping her father in the ministry at the Baptist Church in that community until he died when she was 53. She wrote 144 known hymns and 34 versified psalms for the Psalter. I say known hymns. She often preferred to write anonymously under a pseudonym Theodosia and others, so we don't know. When they were published, finally, at the insistence of her brother and father, she avoided the limelight and donated all her profits from the sale of the books to other churches and charities in their Baptist community. For a full century after her death, this is the testimony of the hymnologists that were written in the 1800s, for a full century after her death, she was the most often sung female hymn writer in both England and America. Her hymns were, this is before Fanny Crosby came along, 1890s or so. So prior to that, up to 1850s, 60s, she was the most often sung female hymn writer. Her hymns were mostly found in Calvinistic, strict Baptist churches in England, which we would identify with, and Baptist hymnals in America, and several also in the Sacred Harp, if you're familiar with that vein. Oddly, we only have three or four in our hymn books. What the other one that we have that we sing a lot is, To Our Redeemer's Glorious Name is hers, and also Father of Mercies in Thy Word, Thy Endless Glory Shines is another one. Her hymns focus on humility, a sovereign God, peace of mind, sobriety, the joy of knowing Jesus Christ, and particularly submission to His will in life. When her fiancé died the day of their wedding, understandably, she was deeply affected and spent several weeks in solitude. At last, she reconciled this event to God's providential choice for her life, redirecting her affections. Her first hymn written after this time was comprised of ten verses, the last three of which we're about to sing. Number 530. Father, whate'er of earth we Thy sovereign will denies, accepted at thy throne of grace, when this condition rise, give me a Every 
Michael Jones is next. Michael Jones is next. Where is Michael? There he is. Welcome, sir. All right. You're welcome to switch over to the Reds on hymn number 541. Yeah. When the roll is called up yonder, 541. <clears throat> this has been a childhood favorite of mine, and it, it's got a short backstory to it, but I thought it was really interesting because I, I had the same thoughts. Um, so most hymns are, you know, the result of convictions that one had um, on a particular subject or idea um, that the author could not stop thinking about, right? Yes. And then they wanted to celebrate that joy that they had. Right. And what better way to celebrate than to sing unto the Lord um, and with others? So, and then they end up looking for songs. Maybe there isn't one to be found, so they, well, I'm going to write my own song about it. And that's exactly the story behind... When, um, when the role is called up yonder. It was written by James Black, and he was a youth group leader or a Sunday school teacher. That's what it was called, I think. But yeah, youth group, um, like over 100 years ago. So the short story is he, he liked to keep attendance at his youth group meetings, and he would do so by them quoting a verse. They would you know, have a verse that they memorized, and then they would quote it by giving attendance. And one day, he, or one night, he in, invited a young lady to join with them. And he told him, yeah, bring a verse you know, that you could memorize. And sure enough, she didn't have a, a verse to memorize, and so she didn't say anything. So he, and he started thinking about, wow, you know, he couldn't stop thinking that night. What if you know, in heaven you know, my name isn't called out? You know, when the role, because he knew about the book of life. We knew yes. about the book of life, yes, and that's, that's going to be open one day, and they're going to read our names. So, and you know, he started thinking about it, and he, on the way home, he was like, I don't, you know, I, I don't think there's a song about this. So he went home that night, looked it up. Sure enough, there, he couldn't find anything in his books. So he wrote his own song that night. Um, he wrote even the music on his piano. He, you know, he, he wrote it out, so, and it hasn't changed since. So great, it's a great hymn. Um, so let's see. Yeah, the, the hymn itself, I love it. it. It's got multiple phases of salvation, eternal phase by... You know, when his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the sky. Um, oh, there was another one in here. Let's see. The saved of earth shall gather. There's another, Yeah, so two right, in the, right there. Um, the saved of earth, the chosen ones shall gather. Um, I, I love it. The, the confidence that we have when the final phase of salvation comes around. Yes. You know, I will be there. That is, we should be 100% confident that we, that we will have our names read out to us. And I love it. My favorite verse, though, is verse 3. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Right. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done and the role is called to beyonder, I'll be there. It just sums up our lives. And, you know, it makes our lives feel pretty small that, you know what, we've got a beginning and an end, and that's coming really quickly. But what are we doing from a day-to-day -day basis? Um, so 541, please. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. 541, after we sing this, we'll ask Paul Crosby to come. 541. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair, 
other shore, and the roll is all a thunder, I'll be there. When the roll is all a thunder, when the roll is all a thunder, when the roll is all a And the glory of his resurrection share. When his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies, and the roll is called of yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called of yonder, when the roll is called of yonder, when the roll. Let us talk of all is one with his love and care. Then when all the fight is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called the thunder, I'll be there. When the roll is called the thunder, when the roll is called the thunder, when the roll Great is thy faithfulness, number 205 in your burgundies. Number 205 in your burgundy. Great is thy faithfulness. The words of many of our favorite hymns are born out of life-changing experiences. Charles Wesley composed the joy-filled And Can It Be after his dramatic personal conversion experience. And Horatio Spafford penned the words of comfort found in It Is Well With My Soul after the tragic death of his children in a shipwreck on the Atlantic. On the other hand, the words of some hymns spring not from a traumatic experience in a person's life, but in the midst of the daily routine. That is just the case in the writing of one of the 20th century's most loved hymns Great is thy faithfulness. Thomas Chisholm was born in a simple log cabin in Franklin, Kentucky in 1866. Lacking a high school education or any college training, he became a school teacher at the age of 16 and later entered the newspaper business. The following years found him ordained a pastor, but poor health forced him to leave the ministry after a time of recuperation, he moved to New Jersey to work as an insurance agent. A prolific writer of poetry, he sent a collection of his poems in 1923 to his good friend William Runyon, a musician associated with Chicago's Moody Bible Institute, who also worked for a hymnal 
Publishing Company. While on a trip to Baldwin, Kansas, Runyon leafed through the poems sent by Chisholm and was immediately taken by the depth of meaning and lyrical beauty of the words found in the poem, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Years later, Runyon recalled, this particular poem held such an appeal that I prayed most earnestly that my tune might carry over the message in a worthy way. Out of a simple prayer, Runyon's melody took shape, and the completed hymn was published by Runyon that same year. Due to Runyon's association with Moody Bible Institute, Great Is Thy Faithfulness became a favorite with the students and faculty alike and has become the Institute's unofficial college hymn. Yet it was slow to take on in the churches across the United States until Billy Graham began using the hymn in his crusades. It was introduced to the people of Great Britain during Graham's crusade there in 1954 and has since become one of England's most popular hymns. The hymn's first verse is a simple expression of God's unchanging faithfulness based on Lamentations 3.22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Verse 2 continues with an expression of God's faithfulness to us in the natural world he created, the changing of the seasons, the movements of the celestial bodies, all joining together to praise their creator. The hymn's culmination is the final verse with a testimony of peace that comes through redemption, God's abiding presence in our lives, and the blessed hope of heaven. The refrain echoes the infinite faithfulness of God to extend mercy and compassion, as we read further in Lamentations 3.23, they are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. Amen. Looking back on the writing of the hymn, Chisholm recalled in 1941, my income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years, which has followed me until now. But I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful expressions of his providing care, for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. This hymn for the ordinary Christian is about an extraordinary God. Rich or poor, we all can say, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Number 205 in the Burgundy. Next we'll have Jordan Triquet up here. 205. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Thank uh-huh. 
Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Yes. Turn with me to hymn number 346 in your burgundy. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Yes. Like many of the other hymns, uh, this, this song was born out of a tragedy that happened to the author, uh, Miss Louisa Stead. Here's some backstory. Mrs. Louisa Stead was born in England in 1850. She was a devout Christian throughout her whole life. From the young age of nine, this girl had a strong urge to want to serve God's kingdom, however, at least with the, the amount of truth that the Lord had chosen to show her in her life. By the time she was 21, she came to the United States, where she eventually found and married her husband in 1875. A few years after they had their daughter, the, the small family decided to enjoy a beach uh, out in New York one sunny afternoon. Uh, this setting was the one that Mrs. Stead 
would never forget and would eventually use to write the lyrics to her well-loved hymn. Her song came out of this tragedy that occurred that day. As the family was picnicking out on the beach, they heard a loud cry for help coming from a boy who was trapped in the current of the tides, struggling to breathe. Mr. Te Mr. Stead quickly ran to the scene and attempted to save the drowning child. However, with the weight of the boy pushing him down and the strong waves pulling them both under, the boy and Mr. Stead drowned in front of Louisa and their daughter. Widowed and without a means of income, Mrs. Stead and her daughter were left grief-stricken and seemingly hopeless. But in spite of their loss, the Lord always managed to provide for the two of them. And through the Lord's words that she learned as a child, and the mercy and kindness from God showed to them after the tragedy, after the fact, Louisa Stead began to write the words, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" To trust in the Lord is, is not a call of inaction, but rather it is a call to action. Over to trust in his divine revelation, like the phrase, just to take him at his word, yes. then, here's a, then here's a verse of action to trust in, Matthew 6, 33. But seek, there's a verse, it's action, but seek ye first kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It is through the action and path of obedience that we can partake of the blessings of our Lord. We can find sweetness in serving our Lord and trusting in those divine promises that are given to those that love and fear him. Not only can we look in a forward direction in trusting in, him, trusting in Him through His words, but we can look back at how the Lord has worked in our lives in the past. Yes. Psalm 63, verse 7, Because thou hast been my help, yes. therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. In pain and sorrow or in joy and peace, our lives are marked with the works of our Savior that allow us to sing how I've proved Him o'er and o'er. He has been our help and he will be again. Let's take a little bit of action right now and praise the Lord for his faithfulness that allows us to sing these sweet words. That's good. Thank you, Jordan. 346. After this, uh, my dad will come, please. 346. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus Just to take him at his word Just to upon his promise just to know the sake of Just from sin. 
last Sunday, uh, he was dissatisfied with the singing that was being practiced at his time. And his, as a teenager, his dad challenged him, well, do something better. Beautiful. So he did. And we sang one of his songs from that effort last weekend, or last Sunday. Uh, this hymn is from a later effort when he took on the challenge of writing about the, the Psalms or taking the Psalms written by David in Old Testament terminology and looking at them in the light of the New Testament. This, this song was taken from uh, Psalm 98 verse 4 where he, he expressed joy uh, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Amen. And the rest of the song starts, continues with Old Testament terminology of harps and trumpets and coronets and various things. But he, in this song, speaks of Jesus Christ and his effect on us, effect on the world, in yes. the second verse. Yes. And ruling and reigning right. and with truth and grace and righteousness. Amen. And that's what we want to celebrate. Right. Beautiful. Amen. Beautiful. Amen. As a shout out to all the 20-somethings in the congregation, he wrote most of his hymns as a late teenager and as a 20-something 20, in that decade of his life. Isaac Watts. All right, number 110. After this, Adam Eastland will come. Joy to the world, the Lord is come.
the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. Isn't it an incredible testimony to our God that a majority of these songs come from the darkest of nights and the lowest of lows? It is a special testimony to our God that no other God gets. And it's incredible that the world cannot imagine joining these circumstances. Um, and even Lamentations 3, it was a normal day song, but Lamentations is the most depressing book in the Bible, but 3 has some of the brightest verses. Yes. And so that's a theme because the world can't understand it, but the peace of our God passes understanding. And that's a glory to him and what a glorious God we have. Back to my notes. Um, I want to tell you a couple points about the life of Annie Flint Johnson Flint, a remarkable woman and avid lover of Jesus. Uh, just like yours, Brother Eric, her mother died when she was three. She was adopted by a Baptist family after bouncing around some homes that she grew to be very thankful for. Annie was cheerful and optimistic. I want you to know that about her. She was known to be cheerful and optimistic. She enjoyed pleasant conversations and was liked by those around her. And she was known to be very, very gracious, giving of all that she had, and quick to note her own faults. She strongly opposed the idea that young children cannot apprehend spiritual truths she felt that divine mysteries were often plainer to the simple faith of a child than to many adults, blinded by their own prejudices and intellectual doubts. It was not difficult for her to endorse the words of the master, thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Amen. So this is a simple song with deep truth, and I don't want those of you that are wiser than me to um, despise the simplicity of it. Three years after high school, she developed arthritis, and it got worse until she could barely walk. Her loving foster parents, soon after, within months of each other, passed away, followed soon after by doctors informing her that she would never walk again. Now, there were men that knew her of faith, wicked men, um, that confronted her believing that bodily healing is evidence of atonement. In response to this, Annie prayerfully and earnestly went to the scriptures, what does God say? Her conclusion was this. She became thoroughly convinced that God intended to glorify himself through her in her weak earthen vessel. And like Paul, she had three times and more prayed that this might be taken from her. She came with real assurance to the promise which said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Amen. She reached the place where she could also say with Paul, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. After this, she wrote the song, What God Hath Promised. Annie could not walk, and she was dependent on those around her. Yet she is affecting me and you many years later with her songs and those around her with her testimony, especially this one. Never limit God's grace in your life. Never limit what you can do and the impact you can have on God's kingdom and his children. Your circumstances and your degree of weakness will never trump the strength and impregnability of God's promises. Uh, 182 in the Burgundy.
God's promise, number 182, after this. Our pastor? Is it? Okay. 182. God has not promised skies always blue, flowers from pathways all our lives through. Seven in the Burgundy. Thank you, Adam, for that last one. And daughter Sarah Hudson, that was for you. 197. The Solid Rock. I picked one that is a familiar song to our church that we've sung many, many times, and the younger ones in our church like to sing it loudly, and the older ones like me like to sing it loudly. And so I share with you a little bit about its author, Edward Moat was born in London, England, shortly after our Revolutionary War to very poor and very ungodly parents. They operated a pub, and so that's the environment he grew up in. His Sundays were spent playing in the streets. He did not even know if there was a God. The school he attended did not allow Bibles to be seen, let alone to be taught. He was apprenticed as a cabinet maker and eventually became quite successful at it and skilled at that trade so that he had his own shop. At 16, his master, apprenticeship, you have a master, his master took him to hear the enthusiastic Methodist preacher, John Hyatt. He believed what he heard about Jesus, the Son of God, and became a Christian. He converted to be a Baptist and attended a Baptist church in Sussex, England for 26 years, and it was called Rehoboth Baptist, Strict Baptist Church, so it was another Strict Baptist he was running his cabinet shop during the first half of his life while attending this Baptist church. They needed a building. He built them the building. They tried to deed him the building. He said, I don't want the building. I want the pulpit. And when I don't preach Christ crucified, throw me out of that. 
I just like the spirit. He wrote more than 100 hymns during his life. Just prior to his death, he said, the truths I've been preaching, because he did become a Baptist preacher, and so the last 26 years of his life, he was a Baptist preacher. The truths I have been preaching, I am now living upon, and they do very well to die upon. Regarding this particular song, he was 37 years old, a member of the Baptist church, walking to his cabinet shop work one day with a desire to compose a hymn about the gracious experience of a Christian. So he didn't have a trial or an affliction like most of you. He just wanted to describe what it was like to be a Christian. And so these words came to him. Just days later, on Sunday, a friend asked him to comfort his dying wife. And since they could not find their hymnal, and she wanted to sing, and her husband wanted to sing, he pulled this piece of paper out that he had scribbled down these verses on. And they were of great comfort to the woman who wanted them set before her eyes for as long as she had left. He first entitled the song, Jesus, My All in All. Then he changed it, The Immutable Basis of a Sinner's Hope. hardly even sounds similar, but the immutable basis of a sinner's hope and William Bradbury took from his chorus and gave it the name that you now know it as the solid rock because it comes out of his chorus. Note in his words, his confidence. My hope is built on nothing less. And I'm just going to read to you things through this song. You're staring at the page. You can see Edward Mote up there at the left. You can see William Bradbury, who gave it the name The Solid Rock, entitled the melody that, that he composed for it. Listen to these words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, Jesus' righteousness, His name, His unchanging grace, Jesus my anchor, Jesus' oath, Jesus' covenant, Jesus' blood again, Jesus my hope and stay. Like Paul, he wanted to be dressed in Christ's righteousness alone when Jesus came with trumpet sound. Like Jude, Zach, Pipkin, he wanted to be presented faultless before God's throne. The chorus repetitively declares that trust in any other than Jesus Christ is hopeless vanity. After this, we'll have David Jones come. 197. How about we all stand together if you're able and sing this loudly? 197. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name.
David Jones, please, sir. Eugene Monroe Bartlett. He is considered one of the founding fathers of Southern gospel music. He was born in December in 1885 near Waynesville, Missouri, and he dedicated his life to Jesus at an early age. Eugene lived in the South and had the reputation of a fine music teacher. He was based in Arkansas, so he traveled the entire Southern portion of the country holding singing schools for anyone interested. These, are similar these and similar schools trained aspiring musicians in vocal technique, sight reading, and conducting, and were influential in the development of church music as a whole for the much of the remainder of the century. Eugene was also a successful businessman, and he decided to invest his money in which he founded the Hartford Music Company in Hartford, Arkansas sometime in 1918. Within the first year, he sold more than 15,000 copies of his hymn book. Many writers, singers, and musicians received their first opportunity in gospel music at the Hartford Music Company, including Albert Brunley, who wrote the song, I'll Fly Away. But don't turn to that, that's not what we're singing. In 1939, a stroke rendered Eugene partially paralyzed and unable to perform or travel. He spent the last two years of his life completely bedridden and amid such bleak circumstances, he wrote his final and most beloved song, Victory in Jesus. And while most of his songs have sunk into oblivion, this song has stood as a favorite for many. The three verses and refrain enthusiastically tell of one's own personal salvation experience from beginning to end. It's said that Eugene missed traveling and teaching, but he could still study the Bible a study from which gave us this wonderful song during a time when much of the world sat on the brink of World War II. Only two years after his stroke, Eugene Bartlett died in 1941, and throughout the 56 years of his life, he composed more than 800 songs, and many hymnals have included this song within their published pages, including our own old school hymnal. So if you would turn to 421 in that book, and we'll sing of that old, old story that each of us have experienced. Amen. After, uh, after we sing this, we'll have Nathan Crosby come. 421. I heard an old 
the first presentation. It's been uh, it's been going downhill since then, or uphill, depending on how you want to look at it. So a little bit different of an approach to this particular hymn. 
I want to start with a question and then have it be answered, hopefully, as I go through the, the presentation. So the question is, what's in your suitcase? It'd be a strange question to start a hymn presentation. We will see. The hymn I'm presenting today was born of tragedy, but had the lasting effect of good over time. Philip Paul Bliss was an American conductor, composer, gospel singer, and hymn writer. Philip Bliss was born on July 9th, 1938, in Clearfield County, Pennsylvania. Philip developed his love for music and singing from his father, Isaac Bliss. While delivering fruits and vegetables as a young child, he was introduced to a piano. He was taught and inspired by J.G. Towner and William B. Bradbury, who happened to be the tune for the solid rock. Both well-known hymn writers for his time. In 1858, Bliss sold his first musical composition, which was for a flute. He may be best known for composing the tune for Horatio Spafford's hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, which is where we usually associate his name. As with many of our hymn writers, a question can be raised about uh, the body of doctrine the particular hymn writer, hymn writer may have been privy to at that time. I argue for Philip Bliss that one of his final hymns before his passing was Hallelujah, What a Savior, to ease the mind. On June 1st, 1859, he married Lucy J. Young, his childhood sweetheart. The couple eventually moved to Chicago, where he became known for his ba uh, bass baritone voice and as a music teacher. After leaving their four-year-old and one-year-old, after leaving their four-year-old and one-year-old boys, George and Philip Paul, with family in Rome, Pennsylvania, Mr. and Mrs. Bliss were traveling by train when disaster struck. On December 29, 1876, Philip and Lucy Bliss were traveling through Ashtabula, Ohio, on the Pacific Express train to an engagement in Chicago. While the while the train was in the process of crossing a trestle bridge which collapsed, all seven carriages fell into the icy ravine below. Bliss survived the fall and escaped from the wreck, but the carriages caught fire and Bliss returned to try to extricate his wife. Although he was advised against it, Bliss headed back into the fire saying, if I cannot save her, I will perish with her. The young couple did not survive. Fifty-nine people, 92 people of the 159 passengers passed away in that accident. Neither trace of the bodies were discovered because of the flames. Philip Bliss was 38 years old. Most of the cargo was burned, but a few remains were retrieved from the accident site and found in the trunk of Philip Bliss, somehow surviving the crash and the fire, were the lyrics to a tune to a hymn, My Redeemer. Today that song is I Will Sing of My Redeemer, written out after his passing uh, by James McGrathen, who was another composer that we have in our hymnals. So I ask you, what's in your suitcase? If the Lord takes you home today, will he find words like this hymn, 650 in the red? Adam Wells will come after this for our final presentation. 650. I will sing of my Redeemer and His wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross He saw. 
me free. Sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer. With His blood, He purchased me. On the cross, He sealed my pardon. Paid the debt and made me free. I will tell. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Amen. How Great Thou Art is a Christian hymn based on a Swedish traditional melody and a poem written by Carl Boberg in Sweden in 1885. The original title, O Stor Good, was first published on the 13th of March in 1886 with nine verses. 
It was later matched to music by an unknown person which began its journey as a hymn sung in churches. Carl Berber, sorry, Carl Boberg and some friends were returning home to Monsteris from Kronobach, where they had participated in an afternoon service. Presently, a thunderstorm appeared on the horizon, and soon lightning flashed across the sky. Strong winds swept over the meadows and billowing fields of grain. The thunder pealed in loud claps. Then rain came in cool, fresh showers. In a little while, the storm was over, and a rainbow appeared. When Boberg arrived home, he opened the window and saw the Bay of Monsteris like a mirror before him. From the woods on the other side of the bay, he heard the song of a thrush. The church bells were tolling in the quiet evening. It was this series of sights, sounds, and experiences that inspired the writing of the song. In 1907, it was translated into German by a wealthy Baltic German Baptist nobleman, Manfred van Glen, who had heard the hymn in Estonia, where there was a Swedish-speaking minority. The song then became popular in Germany, where We Grob Dis Du is the common title, the first line being Du Grobergat. From German, it was translated into Russian in 1912 by Ivan Prokhanov, entitled Veliko Bog. Forgive me if you're Swedish, German, <laughs> or Russian. But Veliko Bog means great God. Later, a British Methodist missionary, Stuart H. Kine, heard it in the Ukraine in 1931 and translated it into English. It quickly took off among the British colonies where it was heard by an American, J. Edwin Orr, of Fuller Theological Seminary while on a trip to India. <laughs> Orr was so impressed with the song that he heard it sang among tribalists near Burma in India that he introduced it at the Forest Home Christian Conference Center in the San Bernardino Mountains of Southern California in the summer of 1954. Like Great is Thy Faithfulness, it was popularized by Billy Graham in his Crusades. It has now been translated into nearly every language and every tongue. I challenge you to a Google search and you can find almost every language saying. We enjoyed it yesterday just looking it up. Do it and send me a text when you've done it, please. But with that, Let's think of his faithfulness. And as our pastor said, the joy yes. and excitement yes. should show on our face. Remember all the brethren around the world who sang it in their own tongue about the same God, our great God. Amen. 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 What was the number again? 500 Burgundy. 500 in the Burgundy. Burgundy hymn books, number 500. How great thou art. I invite you to stand with me. It's been a good day. 500. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the words thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder. 
for participating and doing the research to share those song and hymn stories with us. Thank you, Eric, for doing double duty. Thank you, Adam Wells, for that last one. It brings us full circle today because the first two verses of that song are about the creation. And the world can recognize everything that the saved man can until they get to the chorus. And they don't have a place for the chorus. But then verses 3 and 4 were way beyond what we can realize or learn from creation because it's all about Jesus Christ, his death for our sins, and his coming again. And so then we sang in the second person, How Great Thou Art. Instead of just not singing about God's greatness in the, in the third person, but singing it to him. And when we get to see him, we will say, My God, how great thou art. Amen. Fourth verse. I thank and appreciate each one of you, your enthusiasm and your love for the worship of God. Everyone singing, everyone presenting. I thank the Lord for the privilege of being here today. Father in heaven, in Jesus' glorious name, and by his name which is above every name, and by his blood which has sealed our pardon and washed our sins away, we thank thee for the privilege of being your children. And, O Lord God, thou art very great, and we love thee, and we will follow thee our whole lives. Grant us strength Grant us reflection on everything we have heard this day that we will go out and we will fight the good fight of faith and we will win in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ for he is King of kings and Lord of lords forever. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You are dismissed.